It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Yes, Andrew. Obviously, we're all uh, feeling bad um, in the wake of what we saw at the Oscars this last week, where Alex Honnold went up on stage and slapped Jimmy Chin right in the face. <laughs> I don't know how to move on after this, honestly. <laughs> Why did did Jimmy make some uh, some comment about Sonny? Yes, <laughs> yes, he said he said that Sonny smiled too much like the sun <laughs> and alex lost his mind and slapped him in the face <laughs> and he said keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth jimmy chin i don't know what do we do with that chris <laughs> i mean i think the only thing is is that the Osc- the academy needs to take away the the award for free solo yeah free solo gets its award taken away and we should give it to what what film to don wall dude oh yeah don wall, get- <laughs> don has wall gotten has, oscar. gets its oscar <laughs> isn't every move isn't all like climbing films feature length films gunning for oscars now they have to be yeah 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 that's the bar is getting an oscar for your film no it's getting slapped in the face on the oscar stage yes but you first you need the oscar and then or maybe you get slapped and then you get an oscar so first of all let's go to the real thing where you you didn't watch the Oscars, did you? No, 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 no. no. Actually, I, uh, ironically, maybe, or coincidentally more so, is that we were actually watching uh, Real Rock during the Oscars. Oh, funny. Yeah, because we were at a friend's house and their kids were upstairs watching the Oscars. Um, but we, I only found out about the other thing, you know, via Twitter, as usual. Yeah. It was a crazy discourse that followed. Obviously, you know, Will Smith smacked Chris Rock in the face for making a joke um, about his wife. Which was like a pretty, I didn't even get the joke or reference. Like it didn't, it didn't seem that bad, but, and it kind of just seemed like Will Smith lost his mind. Yeah. The other thing that people aren't talking about is how big Will Smith is compared to Chris Rock. Chris Rock is little. He's little. And Will Smith is like a built superhero, action superhero who works out. And he was like towering over this little man and just smacked him in the face. Remember he played Ali. He was all like jacked up for that. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that's called punching down. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but it made us start to think about like about climbing and it has we, do these things happen at the cliff? Do people like talk so much shit? Because talking shit is a big part of climbing. Do people talk so much shit that they get slapped in the face ever? Well, we've, we, we kind of have a few infamous stories over the years of mm-hmm. um, climbers slapping each other. And because we're a mature podcast, we thought we could review... Review those a couple slaps, but couple slaps. If, if any, honestly, this would be a good one because if any anybody has these incidences that they can they can tell us about actual scraps, actual like in your face physical punching, slapping, grappling at your local crag, I want to hear about it because yeah. I, I mean, you know, I I've often talked about like these parallels between climbing and surfing and the climbing community, surfing community. And I've often said in those same conversations, like at least we don't have that culture of fighting that you get in a lot of surf places in a lot of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, specifically to ha- to Hawaii, Southern California, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, 
or if you get in the way in the water, you can get your fucking ass kicked. Yeah. And that just, you know, as climbing has gotten more crowded and you and there is like kind of a pressure on resources, I've always wondered like, is there a point where that's going to start happening in climbing? And I just, in general, have not seen it. Like that's, we're all just groovy get alongers, I think. At least over here in the Western Slope, we are. Yeah, no, that's totally interesting. I mean, that is like the, with a couple exceptions. <laughs> there, there is like that territorial, you know, this is my wave mm-hmm. type thing. And if you like get in, on my wave, then you know there's going to be problem. I'm going to slap you on the beach. And yeah, climbing, I guess, had that culture in the 80s and 90s. It felt like to me. a little bit. Yeah, but was it image versus reality? There's just like a few thing stories that you kind of hear over the years. I think there was some fisticuffs that like came from the um, the sort of famous uh, American Alpine Club summit about the Bolt Wars and mm-hmm. around Shelf Road. I could be misremembering that, or it could be just you know one of those stories that get mythologized over years. Where yeah, I feel like in Boulder there was some God who there was some there was actually a punch thrown mm-hmm. over bolting, and then of course. Um, I think it was at Mark Chapman and, and John Backer, yeah. like scrapped over bolting, chopping bolts or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where in, in a lot of sports, I mean, any sport, baseball, football, basketball, you know, if somebody punched somebody else, we wouldn't remember it. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like just recently didn't like uh, hockey games yeah whatever right it happens all the time (laughs) but the fact that i like we can remember these like specific kind of events 30 years ago means that they don't fucking happen yeah they're they're super rare they're super rare but they are they're rare but they're memorable because they are this like expression of like super um primitive atavistic caveman level macho you know, masculinity displays of masculinity. You don't think women are punching each other at the cliff? They could be. Yeah, I don't. No, think I think that it's clearly a, a male, you know, a, a male thing. And that's also like, wh- I think what's so interesting about this is just like how immature that like style of masculinity is, mm-hmm. and just like it just feels like so gross now, and like people are responding to it because it. We don't live in an era anymore where, you know, you say something about something that I don't like and we go out in the streets and fight. Right. That was part, you know, or like turn 10 paces and shoot a gun at each other. Like that was how you settled your beef in the old days. And um, now we have uh, social media and blogs and we can just destroy each other online. Getting canceled. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're you'd rather just have the slap and be done with it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is something there is something there too. But yeah. It does. It's funny how it feels like it feels almost worse, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sniping each other on the internet. <laughs> I mean, I I can say having had lots of snipes thrown my right. way at the internet, I can definitely say I would rather be slapped in the face. Just slapped though. Just slapped, yeah. yeah. Slapped yeah. in the face. Like like we a, used to do that to each other in college. Is r- like me and my friends would just slap each other in right, the face for the fun of it because we were dumb. Or you could do uh, like the olden times where the 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 you know dandy would walk up and slowly take his velvet glove off and then whack you in the yeah. face. <laughs> I demand satisfaction, sir. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, a velvet glove across the face. A belay no glove. Big deal. A belay That's glove. A local belay yeah. glove. Your fingerless belay glove. Yeah. 
I feel like if you get dropped on a Grigri and um, you you should be allowed to like slap your belayer with yeah, your with their sure. belay glove. Oh yeah, learn how to belay, sir, <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir. The one story that came to mind was um, we don't have to name names here, but we, we uh, a mutual good friend of ours had um, this is maybe the most recent you know yeah. throw, punch that was thrown in climbing uh, just a couple years ago got into an altercation at the crag over parking. Well, it started with parking. <laughs> okay, over parking. Yeah, yeah. It, it started with parking and then it escalated to a certain younger gentleman threatening this, this mutual friend's dog or the dog he was dog-sitting. Yeah. Threatening to hang this dog, actually. It was even trying to make like a hang dog joke? I don't know, but uh, he got his dreadlocks grabbed in an upper cup, <laughs> uppercut to the face so which again going Were back to there? what i said Did earlier you see that? no no i i i was uh i've gotten the a first-hand account okay of us of a bystander or the person that our friend was with so basically the situation was our friend asked this, this kid to move his car so that he could like just move it over six inches so that his car could fit into the spot because there were no spots left and so um he wouldn't do it, right? He wouldn't move his car. Or he was just like acting super brash or something. Yeah, yeah. And, he was um, acting super brash. And then our friend... To a guy who's climbed in rifle for like yeah, yeah. 40 this years. Is, this is a, a very long-term climbing guy in rifle. But apparently our friend was pissed, but he was just like, all right, whatever, fuck it. But then the dude, the young dude kept like saying shit. Like saying, oh, what are you working on? I'm going to go steal your draws, which is a really terrible and dumb insult so our friend blew that off and then our friend let their his dog or this dog he was dog sitting out of the car and then this this gentleman made this comment that i'm gonna hang your dog (laughs) and my friend who's telling me this story was like he even said like oh that was the wrong thing to say because because the 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 perpetrator of the punch is a very loving uh pet owner Mm -hmm. and uh likes animals more than people, frankly. And so then that person, our friend, just walked up, grabbed the dude's dreadlocks, because he had dreads, and like pulled him down and just uppercutted right into his face. Yeah. Laid him out. Yeah, we can we can talk about that. But th- I was just thinking as you're telling this story, the similarities to to Will Smith, where I, I'm, I'm this is going to sound really bad. I'm not trying to make a comparison between Will Smith's gorgeous wife and this dog, but there is this like similar masculine response where you feel like you're a protector of something or sure. like you need to stand up for your wife or your child or your, you know, your dog child. And, um, and yeah, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's so bad, but it's like, I feel like that kind of thing is just bred into our genes mm. as as men. Well, furthermore though, I think that we could say that our our friend, the uh the 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 violent one, he he's tired of fucking piss ant shitheads in general. Yeah. You know, these these were and, biz- But he's very he's not a violent uh, person. No, he's not. He's super chill, but just uh, these cats were from, you know, from somewhere else and like kind of just ran into his scene and like Everybody knows in rifle that you try to park well, and I've been asked to move my car over dozens of times and have done it. And the yeah. fact, so it started. It was just like this person was treading on etiquette, 
and and uh and our friend is kind of over that i mean it was also in the middle of the pandemic so you know i think there was like grabbing the dreadlocks in the uppercut is quite an image well to, to me and, and you know speaking of this like uh, our friend being like just generally pissed off at these people acting this way like that's why when when it, i heard it happen and, and my friend called me and was like dude I gotta tell you the story. I was stoked, and so I'm probably part of the problem. Like, you know, I, I was like, God, it's like I've just seen so many people acting like dickheads that just needed a punch in the face. Finally, our friend did it. Yeah, I mean, there's just like a certain simplicity to a, a smack in the face that just kind of resolves the conflict well, right on did. the spot without any more words, and that's it. It's yeah. like that's it's done. You're we don't need to talk about this anymore. You know, I, you did what you did. I slapped you or punched you case closed kind well, of thing. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Is this kid, first of all, he couldn't, he was literally crying. Now, if you've ever been punched in the face like that, if you get punched in the nose, you cry. Yeah. Like your, your face waters, whether it's like actual, like crying yeah, from yeah. sorrow or not. But he, he was, I think just shocked. That is fucking running his mouth actually got him punched in the face this time. Right. And that's where I'm like leaning towards the like, yeah, it was probably about time because this guy didn't, he wasn't just like a dude who was completely friendly and great in the world up until this point. Like Mm -hmm. he'd ran his mouth before or else he wouldn't have like just kept going. And if you're and so, listening to this episode right now, yeah, uh, let us know if yeah. you've become a better person. Yeah. But anyway, what happened was is that <laughs> our friend got a little gripped because he's like, all right, so if this guy calls the cops, like I am actually guilty of battery at this point. Right. So he whipped out a beer and like, you know, just tried to backtrack to like, hey, sorry, man, but you can't talk about my dog like that and blah, blah, blah. And they ended up having a beer together. Yeah. So it was like, and there's there'll be people out there who like talk about toxic mas- toxic masculinity that yeah. are rolling their eyes right now. Yeah, yeah. Because this sounds like a fucking playground, right? right. No, it's totally. It's like it's, playground justice or whatever. I mean, they're right to do that too. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, they resolved their thing, like right. you just said. It was right. simple. Dude was running his mouth. He didn't expect anyone to ever call him on it, and he got punched in the face, which. Is astounding, yeah. Because it never happens. It like, is. It's playground justice. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, are there more examples of this? Well, so I um I asked our our friend James Lucas to because I knew he'd be a wealth of information, mm-hmm. and he said that um Dean Potter smacked a guy in the face, Mister Way. I don't know who that is, Mister Way. Uh, God, I don't know what his real name, or that might be his Way. Might be his last name. I have no idea, but he yeah. was a a denizen of camp Four Yosemite in the, uh, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Like I interacted with way and he was like, uh, he sort of fancied himself like the arbiter of the ethics. Mm-hmm. And he was like one of those classic individuals that never seemed to climb that much, but it was always there in the mix, like talking shit, pontificating. Yeah. Right, pontificating, right. Like talking shit. And everybody assumptions. knew him as Mr. Way. There's, yeah. And you know, the center of the universe, which was like this little space over by the by the cafeteria, like yeah. he would hold court right. in that classic Yosemite way of yeah. like holding court, like you know whether you were around or not. Mostly when you weren't around, which is why this story is actually kind of interesting because um, you would hear that Mister Way was talking shit about you. Right. I I was the target of of some of Mister Way's ire. Okay, so, um, 
anyway, so that that that's Mr. Way. I, so he was. So in this instance, he Bob was, Jim. He, I don't know what his fucking name was. Mr. Way. Yeah. So Mr. Way was. Um, uh, he was making the case that this was right after Dean had soloed Astro Man. Right. And second free solo of Astro Man after yep. um after uh Peter Croft. Quite a few years after. Yeah, quite a few years after. And he was uh so what was the thing? Dean didn't do one of the well, pitches. There's a variation that's run out but easier to go around the the crux one of the crux boulder problems is eleven C like little move. Right. Nobody right. ever does it leading because there's no gear. Right. But as a free soloist, it would be easier, and it's like 11A. Right. So Dean skipped this one crux. So which, he climbed the, an 11A variation that no one with a rope does because it's run out. Right. But as a free soloist, that doesn't matter. And Peter Croft did not. He climbed the original, like the line. So, of course, this would attract a guy like Mr. Mr. Way's Way would uh, fancy. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's, yeah, he had the whole, uh, he, he, he sounded the horns and had the whole court <laughs> assemble at the center of the universe. Exactly. It was just like, do, do, do. Exactly. To, 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 you know, to try this, this case against, <laughs> against Dean Potter. <laughs> Dean Potter, present yourself. <laughs> Is it true <laughs> that you climbed around the 11C? <laughs> yeah. So Dean Potter not being one to take any kind of shit like that smacked him in the face. Yeah. Like I get apparently like Mr. Way, according to James, Mr. Way was like pointing his finger, almost touching his chest and said, you did not free solo Astroman. And then. And Dean Potter said, take Astro Man out your fucking, fucking mouth. mouth, and then you know, as as I think the uh, the text said, his like prodigious paw or something like that, because Dean was also <laughs> quite a bit larger than Mister Way, right? So just yeah, give him a big old smack across the face, and then everyone was happy. After yeah, that. I think so. I think uh, the the courtroom adjourned <laughs> at that point, <laughs> but it's still rare. It's like so I've rare. never seen it. I've never seen it in the wild. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I do want to know. I want to know if, if you've witnessed some sort of scrap at a climbing area that was like climbing related, and not like fighting with the yokel who was in the campground. Do you think because that, that happened to um, this friend of ours in the rifle campground had to confront some like drunk meth head partiers and got punched actually. A woman. Yeah, a woman confronted this group and the uh, and the 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 drunk meth head lady actually punched her in the face. Yeah. Uh but that's different. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I want climber on climber violence. Yeah, yeah. Is what I want to hear about. There's that's not plen- what I want. There's plenty I don't of want meth on climber violence. There's that? there's plenty of meth on climber violence. <laughs> um well, we've all been in campgrounds with a bunch of fucking yokels that are causing problems. Yeah. Like that's a part of the reason I avoid campgrounds to this day. Is incidences like that? Crazy bitch has a gun. <laughs> yeah, crazy bitch has a gun. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> um, that's another story. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the the ultimate will be if anything that we've said in this episode will lead to one of us getting smacked <laughs> in real life. <laughs> I demand satisfaction, sir. I mean, I hope it happens on just because I appreciate like meta humor. <laughs> Instead of an angry email, just come to our house and yeah. slap us in the face. 
I would prefer that. Don't stop. Just stop sending us emails. We don't read them. We don't like them. We don't care what you have to say. We would prefer it if you just slapped us in the face. With a velvet glove. Yes, with a with a Petzl belay glove. That's been, you know, softened. Not the leather one. Get Not the, the one that yeah. got wet and then you put it in the bottom of your pack and it's been sitting there for like two years. Not that one. One that's well oiled and used. Please. Matt Siegel is a professional climber and founder of Alpine Start, a fine instant coffee company. His latest project is Brine Magazine, a print magazine exploring the intersection of adventure, people, and food. Can we talk about the evolution of your relationship? Yeah, for sure. That I hated Andrew from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we start there? (laughs) Matt, Matt Siegel's here, and we are going to talk about how he hates me or hated me. What's the deal, Matt? Why'd you, I, what's I your problem like the, with me? I could be like I can be like the ref here, well, just to make sure you guys don't try to go at each other through the screen. You so. know, this, um. this was a long time ago, uh, man, probably over over ten years ago. <laughs> Andrew wrote a scathing article about me, I believe, calling scathing. me a, a, a gear protected sport climber or using some, some terms about <laughs> something like that, just making fun of the routes, the style in which I was climbing. And at the moment, I got got really butthurt about it. And was like, this guy sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was probably for you. It wasn't just you. It was your whole. It was your whole crew too. It was um, Eric Takaria. Yeah, and, it was. Uh, uh, it was kind of everybody. Who else was and, part of your your scene? Oh, man, it was kind of just me and Eric. But yeah, we were we were <laughs> we were doing our own thing. A lot of head pointing in the U.S. Uh, you know, I'd done a trip to the U.K. and kind of brought back this mentality of honestly gear protected sport climbing which i'm kind of okay with nowadays is like you know you approach these trad climbs like they're sport routes you work them you're not like you know like sometimes you're going ground up if you can but oftentimes you're head pointing them and you know andrew wrote this article basically saying that i was a sport climber and i took great offense to this <laughs> as a 25 year old man with a lot of angst would <laughs> who's like tr- trying to prove himself to be a trad climber you know i was not very happy um yeah and you guys were you as i recall you were um it wasn't just you know the the style of approaching these trad climbs but it was a lot of shit talking around knee pads and stick clips and the whole it was it was, there the, was a whole um it, architecture to your your critique of sport climbing there was and the architecture really didn't make any sense because we were you know <laughs> like we were, we were top roping things at points but yeah no knee pads definitely no stick clips you know and now you'll see me with stick clip two knee pads hand jammies i'm just out there just trying to get up things but <laughs> back then back then yeah it was more of like trying to pay homage to the previous generation so um they weren't using stick clips they weren't using knee pads so like when eric did must have been high without knee pads and then somebody else did it with knee pads it kind of changed the the nature of the climbing on the route what gear you could place how like kind of the whole experience so when i did it i wanted to do it like eric did it i didn't want to like take steps backwards 
I thought at the time that I was taking steps forward, you know, like keeping it the same. So I was boldly against knee pads at the time. I think Joe Kinder and I butt heads about this um, multiple times back when we were in our youth, um, which it's a, it's still a funny thing. I, I feel like I see Magos and all these other people talking about the knee pad debacle in within sport routes too. You know, someone puts up a route without knee pads and it's like, 15a and then someone with knee pads goes and finds a bunch of knee bars and it's like 14b you know i don't know what i think about it the new yeah, well it's is. interesting that there are these they're, they're perennial uh debates that each generation has and um you know yeah just to cut to the punchline uh, matt and i have since become good friends and yeah, so, put, so our, wait, put our beef behind each other don't but, quite cut to the punchline what okay. how did that happen because that's the other half of the story is um that's you know, a good question there's do... this like there's this like simmering animosity that probably you know went from outrage to just kind of like that guy's a dick and i'm not gonna worry about it and then somewhere it evolved into um you guys spent like the last year together like just broing so hard i mean the pictures i see of you two sitting with each other <laughs> having a good time it's like it's beautiful you know <laughs> i don't remember was it the verdone <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think it was the Verdone that we really buried the hatchet and became became close friends. And I, I do recall the line that you said to me, Matt. Um, so yeah, we went to the Verdone to um, work on a project for National Geographic, which was one of the you know top five trips of of my career. It was for so sure. fun and so um, good. You know, we were sitting at a cafe, like drinking some rosé one day, and and you're like, you know, Andrew. Um, the thing that really changed my opinion about you is that I realized that you just don't take yourself seriously whatsoever. (laughs) And so I don't take you seriously either. (laughs) And you kind of just, you know, saw that, um, for all of the, you know, the, the brash critiques, I, I, I can kind of level in my writing in person. I'm a far softer, uh, squishier, more open-minded person. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. <laughs> did you did you ever apologize, Andrew? No, because I was no. right. No. I know. I, whoa, 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 whoa! Right. <laughs> uh, interview over. We're back to we're back to square one. Um, no, I, yeah. I also think there's like a maturing thing too that that happens that we all kind of just realize what's what's the point in some ways the the real um grievance though i think that i think it maybe isn't an apology but is just a recognition but i have i mean i have so much respect for your, your climbing career and what you've done and i mean you were a comp kid from florida who turned into this like amazing adventure trad climber who's you know done amazing big wall routes around the world and there's always going to be a place in climbing and i hope there always is for debating the kind of geekery of the you know what terms mean and what what makes good style and what's good ethics and stuff like that but the bottom line is that regardless of what you call it or whatever it is like uh i mean you have a really impressive career and and i have a lot of respect for you as a as a professional athlete and also just like a you know first ascensionist and that kind of thing yeah thanks i appreciate it and and you're writing and you're critiquing of the whole thing i mean we need people out there just kind of like poking because we all we all need to be poked at uh, more often than not is is kind of what I'm starting to realize. Like looking back at 
for the last 20 years of like doing first ascents and, and climbing and caring about being a performance climber and not caring about being a performance climber and kind of going back and forth in that, in that waves, it's like my ethics and style and so much has changed so much over the years. So it's like when you're young and youthful and arrogant and proud, you obviously hold those, those ideals really tight. Um, and I think that's what I was trying to say with maturing. It's like, well, you kind of like realize that that's maybe not that important. I have my lines that I had back then and I still had now. I would never chip her out. I would never like, you know, kind of do something to like alter the rock. For me, that's like my like, you know, that's where that's where my personal line. Um, but everything else has become gray. Including our, our my hair. But um, <laughs> are we going to have Eric? Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are we... Um, are we uh, going to have Eric on next? Is that how we're going to do this, Andrew? We'll just, we should. We'll just go through your career, Eric, your, your Eric career, and, I, and Eric and I need a catharsis yeah. too. So yeah, it could be arranged. I, I I'm I'm friendly with Eric. Yeah, we, it would be cool <laughs> to do one with Eric. And um, I mean, he was such a huge influence in my life and climbing career. And you know, basically, when I met Eric, I was like extremely young punk gym comp kid, never trad climbed before didn't even know what ethics were in climbing, like had no idea. Like my mentors were purely sport climbers or like comp climbers. Um, and he kind of, you know, we climbed together for, you know, almost 10 years. Yeah. You guys, you just started mainlining that shit. Basically. basically. Eldo mainlining yeah. Eldo. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just like, yeah, I like couldn't get enough of it. Climbed a bunch there, and and then got sponsored by the North Face and started traveling and doing a little bit more of like the international like kind of trips and big wall trips. And never really got into climbing in the valley a ton. It was I don't know for many reasons. Eric never really got into climbing in the valley, so I did it. And I I went with like Micah Dash after I graduated college and like did the free rider and was like, okay, cool. I don't know like such a scene and seems like such a pain back then it was such a pain in the ass to like live in the valley and like climb i ended up spending way more time in canada yeah chiller vibes up north but that is another thing i've noticed about you matt and um the projects that you've chosen is they're often you seem to sort of have an aversion to doing what everyone else is doing and um you, you know you kind of avoid the the places where there's the scene um, you know, even like coming out here, you know, you kind of, I know you like rifle, but you prefer to like go to these other crags and kind of do your own thing. And so that's an interesting, um, I don't know what, what your thoughts are, if that's an accurate assessment of, of your approach or not, but, um, it is interesting because there is so much, you know, kind of path following that happens, especially among professional athletes where, you know, one person does whatever the, you know, the latest boulder problem is, and then everyone else has to line up behind them and do it too. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it, it's like, I think it's changed a lot, but I do think, yeah, typically I don't, I haven't really liked like the big scene type of thing though, like sport climbing and bouldering, like I've like that inner comp kid in me definitely thrives with a bunch of people like screaming at me and yelling and, you know, like that motivation for sure. But for the most part, yeah, I've always like looked at climbing as especially trad climbing as like so much more about the partnership of what you're doing and where you are than the act of sending something super hard. Um, so yeah, a lot of the projects that I've found and 
places that I've chosen to spend time with are a little bit more remote and kind of off the beaten path. Cause it's more of like the, you know, doing something with somebody else. That's not a ton of people around. It's not super distracting. Well, that's interesting as a professional climber, uh, which you have been for a long, long time. The other path is probably the easier, more direct way to, to sort of renown and adding followers. And, you know, just as, as like a professional decision, it, it, in a lot of ways, you know, we can kind of bust on some people who, who, you know, have to go and do the things you're supposed to do, but it, it truly is a bit, bit of a path that's probably, you know, more direct to, to what we unfortunately consider important to being, you know, renowned and professional climbers. So it's a little bit of a more difficult path that you chose, I think. Yes and no. I mean, if you think back to like when, I mean, I agree now, if I was like 25 now and chose this path, then yeah, like I, it would be really difficult to like get established. But back then, basically, I got well known for climbing the routes that just nobody else wanted to climb in a weird way. People were drawn to that. People were drawn to like the hard, dangerous trad climbing that I was doing because nobody else was doing it, you know? Um, so it's like almost like the opposite. I mean, this is before Instagram, right? This is before like social media was a thing. It was like, Sure. You know, Andrew would write something about you in the in the magazine, you know, or <laughs> hot flashes. <laughs> um, there's no there's no bad press, right? Yeah, so so it was a little so like at the time I was just kind of doing what I was inspired to be doing and it just so happened to to um to 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 be that a little bit off the beaten path and then over the, you know, over the years I kind of think I might have just gotten used to it and started avoiding crags like rifle though i'm kind of like to climb rifle this year you know not to diminish it in any way but it is sort of your brand um and it's not <laughs> a brand in the sense that you premeditated it yeah and, and you know but but that's what it became is is you know this guy who is out there adventuring climbing scary stuff and i think that at times maybe not as much anymore but um but yeah i mean and it just didn't it, it was a different thing and it was unique in some ways it was unique because it's also a very, like I said, it's, it's not for everybody. And it's always been, you know, a curiosity I have. And, and maybe we, I can ask you that within this is that if you were this comp kid, this gym kid, like when did you sort of realize that you had it in yourself to be up on, you know, on scary routes, um, where, where there was serious consequences for falls at times. Like, yeah, what was the sort of evolution of that? Because it does make you, you know, that that's an unusual path even and and we've always revered it in climbing. To be honest, it goes back to, it goes back to a couple people that we all know, you know, when I was in college, I was competing a bunch doing really well in all the comps. And like my trajectory was like world cups. Like that's kind of what I wanted to do. Wanted to do bouldering and sport climbing. Um, I kind of had, a really good season you know i think i like won abs nationals and was just like starting to realize that i just was kind of getting a little bit bored with it the next year Danner woods came onto the scene and i think i took second and was like he was way ahead of everybody else and for me i had this realization that if i wanted to be really good at comp climbing i had to climb inside like that's what that's I had to like not rock climb and had to 100% focus. Um, and at the time, uh, a really good friend of mine, Naomi Guy, uh, introduced me to Eric, who also kind of had a similar competition 
trad climbing trajectory in the UK, introduced me to Eric, was like, you need to meet Eric. And pretty much went climbing with Eric and was like, fuck climbing in the gym. I'm going to, I, I want to trad climb. And immediately I realized that the skills that I had been building for the last 10 to 12 years as a competition climber were the same skills that I needed to climb hard trad routes, like physically and mentally. You know, like we like comp climbing takes a lot of kind of like mental fortitude to like perform in the moment. Like you step up to the plate, you can't make any mistakes. You have to like, it's not dangerous, it's super safe, but you have to perform mentally at such a high level and not let anything affect you. Um, which to me was like climbing an Eldo on those, like how I got started um, was the same thing. It just, instead of falling and not winning, you were going to snap your sticks, which at the, you know, like in the moment, it's the same process that's happening in your brain. So in some ways the comps were like preparing me for that, you know, and hindered me a lot, like in uh which is something that we don't kind of like, doesn't get talked about a lot, but like, yeah, at like a really young age, like, I actually was talking to somebody about this yesterday. It was like, yeah, I climbed all these like 514 trad routes, but I was a terrible trad climber, like a terrible trad climber, you know, um, because I skipped, I skipped the, like the process that you need to go through. I had to go back and like go to Indian Creek and be like, not climbing anything harder than 511, you know, and climbing 510s and 511s to like really learn how to like move, like really learn how to crack climb, really learn how to like, place gear that's not that's that's obvious it's not like fiddly you know um so it's, it's almost like if you're looking at a pyramid i like started my trad climbing as a lot of people do do like in my position like you know ethan pringle somebody that i kind of like showed the ropes to trad climbing we started at like the top of the pyramid and then takes so much time to like go down and like fill in the like okay like how do you climb 511 like it's 511 you know how do you climb 510 like it's like really fast you know why don't we uh talk about our recent adventure together um last summer for brian magazine which is uh your brainchild and which i, I think is where you guys really fell in love <laughs> i mean you were like let's say that verdon was like you know you guys were like okay we're cool with each other bro like yeah, yeah. we're cool now, now the love affair began. The love affair um, began. I think that's going to be the legacy of of Brian Magazine. In the yeah, end. It, it was more that. the love affair began in the Verdon, and then the marriage was yeah. Brian Magazine, and uh, then we're in, we're kind of in like the the point of our relationship. The marriage counseling we're... part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a lot of work to to get this uh, magazine out, and I've you know I've put out hundreds of magazines in my career and this was definitely you know a, a difficult one because it, it, we were just you know a threadbare team of uh, of a couple people just trying to make an, uh, something really beautiful and meaningful and stuff like that um but yeah why don't you just give uh give everyone a overview of what the project was how you conceived of it and um yeah so I've always been into cooking, um, kind of started with a mutual friend of all of ours, like, or not really started, but like baking bread, a mutual friend of all of ours, Hayden Kennedy got me into baking bread and kind of got into cooking. I'd like going on these backpacking trips and cooking nice meals, camping, honestly, and then be like, well, I can make nice meals at home too. It was like kind of a reverse for me and COVID happened. 
And then I obviously, like everybody else, just dove even deeper into cooking and baking and grilling. And we had like a pretty fun little pod of like six people that I would just like cook these epic meals for. Um, So it was just this like hobby passion that was growing for me. And as a professional athlete, I had you know, these budgets that are like, oh, what can you do with them? Like go on climbing expeditions, go on climbing trips. And I didn't want to just plan some like far flung climbing expedition and it get canceled or go on this trip and get COVID. And I was just like, well, what have we all been learning from this pandemic? And it's like food. We've all been like kind of like cooking more at home and kind of staying closer to home. So I came up with this idea. Um, at first, it was called breaking bread was the original idea, which I still really like that term. It's a little biblical. So we decided to go with Brian in terms of the name, but of like kind of a mini road trip where I would go around and would link up with somebody in their home. They would cook for us and we would you know, go on local adventures to them. Uh, and the idea was that we would meet up with people that was like the intersection of like food and climbing mostly. So that was it. And I was like, let's pick something reasonable. We went Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and then through in Montana and met up with, you know, a bunch of folks and cooked a bunch of really cool meals and went on some cool climbing trips. The idea was, is that like, we were going to make a magazine. I, I, there's just something about the last couple years, everything's slowing down. I didn't want to do like a video blog or whatever, you know, like, like stuff that you're like constantly like putting out information on Instagram, you know, yeah, we have an Instagram account, but like, I didn't want that to be the focus of it. I wanted to be able to create something that you can hold and like read on your own time and it'll have recipes, it'll have stories, it'll have really pretty photos. And that was kind of the idea from the start was really to like have something that people can hold and walk away with. Um, And at the time, you know, you got a brief history of Andrew and I's love affair, but what you didn't mention is, you know, I would, Andrew and I over the years would run into each other and kind of like the first thing that we'd talk about was like, what are you cooking? You know, like um, even before. So we kind of both, I think, were growing these passions for food and cooking. And honestly, Drew is one of those people, Smith, who's the photographer on this trip, was we had never worked together, but we had so many mutual friends. I was like, I'd been wanting to do something with Drew for a really, really long time. And I was just like, actually, that one of the first times that I like had this idea, I randomly ran into him, actually in your guys' neck of the woods, and was like, yo, what do you think about this? He's like, yeah, sounds cool. And it was like, that was it. It was like, not really. It took months. <laughs> I think Andrew and Drew are like, you're fucking crazy. You're not going to pull this off. But somehow I did. <laughs> you know, we talked about it, um, you know, probably six or seven months before it became a reality. And yeah. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do that. And, th- you know. I was like, well, there's like, you know, 40% chance this will actually happen. So for sure. And, and, um, you know, that is one of the things that I, I, uh, I don't really pride myself in much to be totally honest, but that is one of the things I do pride myself in is like, 
if I have an idea and I really want to make it happen, I'll figure out how to make it happen. And yeah, like, that's, that's like, that's exactly right. And, and I kind of really wanted to make this happen. And, and I'm, I'm still deep in the, in the thick of it currently trying to, trying to, trying to get everything paid for and make it happen. But it's, it happened, you know? And I think, uh, I think, I don't know. It's yeah, we, it took it, but it did take a really long time. Yeah. It's not an obvious, um, you know, it's not an obvious uh, connection between the two worlds of, you know, food and culinary and recipes and stuff like that and, and climbing. And, um, my experience with this was that there was in some ways it felt really natural. And in some ways there was just, it was an, an interesting, um, like mix of the two worlds and it wasn't, it felt different and unusual and it kind of we had to like, you know, kind of break ground in terms of how to, how to create something that felt like it was authentic and natural to both of these genres. Um, did you feel like we did that successfully or what? So the magazine, for those of you that, that are just tuning in, it reads like a long road trip in a lot of ways. And it's a series of stories, um, that Andrew wrote, um, and, Drew shot the photos and I'm kind of like the, the main character that weaves everything together. Um, but it's, it was really like a summer, like a trip. And the first stop really set the tone in a lot of ways, um, which I think we're all really nervous for. And not only did the first stop set the tone, but it also set the bar really high. Cause it was just like, it was more of just us and Sam Elias and Jonathan Segrist was out there and we were just like camping in the desert and it was like, we're going to cook a baller meal. Like I have my portable Traeger grill. Like it was epic. It was windy. It was dirty. There was like dirt in the steak, but it was like still like a baller steak. And it was like, you know, and it was, it was kind of a little over the top, but to be honest, I bring that grill to rifle and grill all the time. You know, it's like kind of like normal, but kind of a little over the top. And I think we did a good job. I think the other thing, that I kind of wanted to do from this whole process is to kind of show people that the worlds are very different, but you could very easily bring them together if you want, you know, like you don't have to like have Mac and cheese at the, you know, when you're camping, like you could do it, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want or, you know, you don't have to like an athlete diet doesn't look one way, you know, like it could be gourmet. It could be, you know, simple. It could be a burger, you know, you know, one thing I'm thinking now is that you, you know, you've got some sponsors in the food world. You own a, a, you know, a technically a food company. It's a instant coffee company. It's like a natural synthesis of these two worlds. And so where do you see your professional career going? Is it further down this road of combining food and adventure climbing or is, is, how do you think about what is next for you as, yeah. as a professional? That's a great question. And honestly, I go back and forth with that almost every day. I was just in Salt Lake City. So one of the companies that Andrew's referring to is Traeger Grills. They, they're like kind of amazing. They do these like wood pellet grills and they just had their summit. And it was like, they, they, they support a couple athletes, just a couple, and then a bunch of chefs. Um, but their whole thing is kind of like the philosophy behind kind of me and, and Brian in some ways is that you don't have to be a professional chef to like make gourmet meals, you know? 
So they've kind of chosen a couple people like myself, Ian Walsh, the surfers, another athlete um, that they work with that they're, we're known for being athletes, but we have these like at home passions that are kind of growing in the food space. To answer your question more directly, I do see myself doing more and more in the food space, but I also see myself in the next kind of year and a half, like really focusing a lot on climbing, which has kind of been like a little bit of a, a shift over the last couple of years. I haven't really focused a ton on climbing, I would say. But the, recently I've been getting like kind of more and more into it. I don't know, you know, I mean, we haven't, I was in like a really bad accident, like three, four years ago that like I broke my neck, my back, both arms and like everything. And that, that kind of really changed my mental attitude. And I, I didn't really want to try that hard for years, truth be told, you know, and I, I feel like I'm kind of after being so chill for so long, I'm kind of ready to like see what I can do again in some ways, you know? Like I kind of stopped with the like hard sport climbing and stuff when I started trad climbing, never really felt like I climbed like as hard of a sport route as I could. So that's kind of something I'd like to try to do in the next year and then another big expedition. But I kind of want to do it all like I always try to do and something's going to suffer. I'm not sure what that is. Well, I was going to comment on Brian because I, you guys are, you know, you guys are in it. Yeah. When Andrew started working on this and I was a little bit like, oh, okay. Like, okay, the food and the, the climbing and okay, you know, like I'll see what, I'll see what comes of it. And it didn't like jump out of my mind um, as like an uh, obvious connection between the two things. But then I started thinking about just like climbing right now and, and over the last like decade and, and how... You know, I mean, even like the sort of van life sprinter kind of culture, you know, fit into this thing of like, well, we don't have to live in the dirt and like we can, you know, we can kit out our, our system to have, you know, we're not just on like a whisper light stove out here, like boiling something, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is like my entire career until I got a camper myself. And, um, yeah, so it, it did, it did start to like fit with. I think a bit of the zeitgeist of climbing in the last, you know, whatever, like I said, decade or more. And, and, you know, obviously there's some criticism of that movement from the olds, from the whisper light crew, I suppose. Um, what was the other one? The XGK or the, the thing that like made so much noise that like all conversations, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, that the, the MSR, like yeah. the expedition stuff yeah. that was like the space shuttle taking off yeah but anyway but yeah i mean it, it has gotten this criticism um but it's also just natural that's that's kind of a big part of climbing now is is actually like you know going out there and climbing hard but also like maintaining this civility i think um again we're getting soft to, to some criticism we're, we're, from we're, the old yeah we're all getting yeah, yeah. soft but you know um, it's not that bad you know and, and also i mean style and and like i think fashion and style st- play a bigger part in climbing than it used to and yeah, so it it did all fit in my mind, and I think the results. Um, you know, the the magazine I just got it yesterday. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Matt. And, and it looks great, you know. And and uh, like I said, it it fits this kind of different zeitgeist that maybe not everybody will want to participate in, but certainly I think more climbers than not are participating in this uh, this sort of you know coming together of a little bit more um, urbane existence that includes climbing. Um, includes gym climbing, includes a social life, and includes some of these things that we've we've considered separate or a part of like a cosmopolitan idea or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess like kind of going, yeah, I and I 
I, I kind of can't agree more. And that's like, I, I realize I kind of went on a, a bit of a tangent there with where I feel like I'm heading, but that's kind of it is like, I still want to like, I'm not willing to like fully dive into the food scene because I still have climbing objectives, but I truly believe you can kind of like merge the two and do both, you know? Um, maybe there'll be a brine volume too, hopefully. Um, but I think we'll take some, we'll take some turns. It'll, it'll, it'll be very different. Um, then I think volume one, I think volume one was a really, was, was really cool. And a really, I think we did, we did a great job and I think it kind of, you know, it just launched, but people seem to be really into it. Um, which kind of like makes me believe that like what you're saying is like that, you know, there is, there is a space for something like that. And maybe we, maybe we think a little bit bigger outside of climbing and more van life and more outdoors camping and like, kind of like a bit more broader, still have some climbing stuff, but kind of mm -hmm. go a little, little broader. And yeah, we could do a dangerous roots and dangerous foods edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, you go and like send send something uh, you know it's terrifying then you have blowfish, blowfish that's, yeah. what, that's what i was thinking yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that sounds fun yeah. um can i pitch you can i pitch you two ideas yeah please do you do you know sleigh bells the band sleigh bells yeah. Alexis Krauss is a climber, the, the lead singer of Sleigh Bells. She's been on the Enormacast, and, and she actually learned how to climb while she was on tour. Oh, cool. Um, and, and she would, like, basically, like, make sure and have a couple days here and there to go climbing. And now she's a full-on, like, half dirtbag, half superstar vocalist. So maybe music, maybe, like, so going on and seeing shows and and finding because there are other climber musicians that are like have some renown um might be might be kind of a, yeah angle. and that would be a lot of fun like going to get to see get to see shows i don't know if you can hear my dogs barking <laughs> yeah um hey <laughs> i don't i can't stop them they're just that works they're just, uh, <laughs> but i I do maybe not exactly that, but one of the ideas that I've been like trying to scheme is like, okay, this like, if people are really into this. Like, how do we make this so that it's not me, Andrew and, and Drew like on the road for like two months. Cause that was like something that like we barely were able to do. Um, but like open it up and like, like, you know, send people off to do, to do pieces of it. And instead of it being like a regional thing, like this one, like have it be like, a little bit more of like an ephemeral topic, whether it's like something like limestone or music or something like that, that kind of the whole magazine is tied around food and the outdoors and that separate topic. This is something I've been kind of playing with in my, I don't even think I've talked to Andrew about it yet, but that I've been just kind of thinking about. Okay. The other one is golf. I love golf, dude. <laughs> I played golf before I started right. climbing. I was like, I was, you know, I probably should have been a golfer. Just saying. <laughs> so, so here's my, it, 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 and we've talked about this before, but the the dirt bag golfer, the golfer, Is, does that who exist? Goes out and up, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like who approaches golfing like climbing, where like you go and you 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 know you sneak onto golf courses, or you like. You have to like do some sort of dirt baggy thing where you sleep in the sleep in the parking lot and like you live in your van, but you go and you golf these great golf courses, but you have to 
you have to like do all this shit to because you know nobody can just like, the, the barefoot charles barefoot charles yeah yeah exactly you play golf yeah, barefoot. yeah so yeah, yeah. anyway just you know <laughs> okay. just throwing right. it out there something right. to do with yeah so so like like make golf cool yeah because yeah. it's not i mean tiger yeah. tried real hard <laughs> <laughs> but i do want my cut yeah. that goes huge there's money in golf, dude. Money yeah, for sure. <laughs> Piles of it, stacks yeah. of it. Yeah. Like just a whole room is filled yeah. with hundred dollar bills <laughs> stacked together. <laughs> Matt, why don't you just tell us how people can get a copy of Brian Magazine oh, yeah, and course. um and yeah, and I encourage them to do so. So right now you can get a copy. My coffee company, Alpine Start Foods, is distributing it. So you can go to our website and uh find us in the gear section. Um, and order it and right now that's the best way we'll be drew and i will be in san francisco at the rourke or sorry in berkeley at the rourke shop this saturday so if you're in the bay area i don't know when this is coming out but uh april 9th we'll be we'll be there kind of telling some stories from the trip and have a bunch of magazines can people get in touch with you to sponsor something like that and bring you out, bring you guys out? Yeah, for sure. People could definitely, if they want to throw a Brian event, we're looking at the possibility of doing more. I'm sure there's going to be one in the front range. The best would probably just be to hit me up on Instagram, I think is kind of the safest method. Um, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a cool project. Um, we are, um, just so everybody knows, a, a portion of the sales from each magazine is going to my friend Kate Rutherford's nonprofit called Farm to Crag, um, which does a good job at intersecting food and food culture and growing food and climbing. So their like main mission is to kind of supply climbers with local food sources, which I think is really cool because a lot of the times we're climbing in these really rural areas, be it Wyoming, California, Colorado, um, and there's local ranchers, local farmers. Um, so they've basically been working on this huge map that you could like log in rifle and it could, it'll be like, okay, here's a local food shop. Here's a local ranch. Here's like how you like support um, the local communities. Cause as we all know, as climbers, we, we kind of have a large impact. And oftentimes what we've been seeing is we've been seeing climbers kind of just showing up to these areas with their groceries, with everything from their local whole foods and, you know, not really supporting the local community. So her nonprofit from Craig does a really good kind of job at like kind of encouraging and showing climbers how to do that. Invariably, you will find yourself at the end of a runout episode wondering, gosh, how do those guys pull out all that great content month after month without any annoying mattress commercials? Well, dear bottom feeder, we don't. We depend on listeners like you to fund the drip, drip, drip of our dribble. So consider becoming a rope gun at patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. And along with investing in the usual spray, you'll get great bonus material like Carlo Denali Traversi expounding on his recent send of magic line and his life as a pro and gym owner. He was like, you should try and you should try and just onsite it, man. I think you could just onsite it, like place the gear, you know, just go for it or whatever. And I was like, all right, man, I don't know about that, but like, I'll watch you on it and we'll, we'll, we'll go from there, you know? And so first, first go up it, he actually ripped two pieces and then decked, um, like just, just above like the low crux. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, nope, dude, I'm going to get on the top rope and I'm going to figure everything out and make sure it's all good. Like not going to be trying to onsite this thing. And luckily, I mean, he was totally okay. At, like, you know, ripped two pieces. He was a little bit bruised, but like, um, it was, it wasn't like, 
you know, anything super, super heinous deck or anything like that. Go to patreon.com slash runout podcast and become a rope gun today. Andy Mann is an Emmy-nominated director, three-time Telly Award winner, National Geographic photographer, and marine conservationist whose imagery is helping tell the story of our rapidly changing planet. He's also a climber and a musician who lives in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Chris. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for letting me play a tune for you guys and uh, your listeners. This is a tune that I wrote recently called Conquistadors of the Useless, which is a you know very classic literary climbing term that I feel like was just sort of ripe to crack open into a song. Um, this is part of a series of songs that I'm writing for a show that I'm doing, which is a, a musical, a storytelling experiment for which I'm writing and, and performing the songs on stage. Uh, with my, along with my work, both in the oceans and, and in the mountains. Um, Conquistadors of the Useless. Well, I know the glacier carved the valley, it left me a steep ravine. And as I walked, the scars of its belly was left in me recedes. I know the strength of my levees by the weight of the tears it won't hold. Good streams soon turn rivers and rivers to the ocean flow. And if we settle sun, take it for a ride, and rope the moon into rising, will days and nights grow long, coming one from the other side, bargaining what their truth is, then all caution, my friend, is thrown into the wind, and we're conquistadors of the useless. Roughest seas try and tip the cradle where it holds me, helpless child. And I can't calm the wind or the waves that create them, for my love for you blows just as wild. They say too much of a good thing will leave you wanting less. summit is my soul and trails and if we settle the sun take it for a ride and rope the moon into rising will days and nights come long each one from the other side bargaining what the truth is then all caution my friends is thrown into the wind we're conquistadors of the useless.
You've just finished another episode of the Runout Podcast. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And I'm Chris Kalous, and you can reach me at andrew at runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> because Chris at runoutpodcast.com is where emails go to die. That's true. We also have a Patreon that you can support our show at, and it's runoutpodcast.patreon.runoutpodcast.com. No, 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 no. It's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. Yes. <laughs> if you dream of sending 514 every month for the rest of your life, <laughs> you should go and sign up at patreon slash runoutpodcast.com. <laughs> no, pot.com slash runoutpodcast. Something like that. Give us some money. Yeah.